The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in 1 John. For previous messages or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Welcome again to our family service. Uh, This morning, we have made it to the end of a wonderful book. This morning, we closed the book literally on on 1 John. It has been an unbelievable time together, Uh, but I'm excited for where we're heading. So on July 10th, we start a brand new book, and that is the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, I cannot wait to get here. It's arguably probably the most common, most well-known book of the Bible is Genesis. Uh, it's the book that we, you know, grew up hearing. If you grew up in church, I guarantee you grew up hearing about this, about this book. Um, but it's one of the most common books. It's a story about our beginnings. It's a story about not only how our, our world and, and we as people began, but church, the thing I'm excited about is this marks the beginning of God's incredible plan to redeem our world. In this book marks the beginning of the gospel. And it is a beautiful book. I cannot wait to to dive in. Um, Literally, I I know that we are stepping into the heat of summer. And uh, I know that so many of us have to travel and are going to be gone. I wanted to let you know that we post all of our resources, all of our sermons, everything online. So as you're traveling this, this summer, I want to invite you to be a part of that. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on our website as well. But we hope that you join us as we journey through this incredible book together. Uh, you ready to end the book we're on? You ready to end First John today? One of us is ready. <laughs> One of us is ready. So uh, turn with me to the book of Romans. I got you, didn't I? Yes, I'm serious. Turn with me to the book of Romans. I know that we're not going to finish 1 John by going to Romans, but um, I want to lay some groundwork for us first. So uh, with me, just turn with me to Romans. And as we're getting there, Romans 1, I want to tell you a story. Uh, there was a pastor uh, who, who told this story that has stuck with me. Uh, he, he was on a mission trip to India. Uh, India, he was a um, uh, kind of a middle-class American pastor stepping off the plane across the world, uh, stepping off this plane, and, and he tells the story of the sights and more than what he saw, what he felt, what he smelt, the whole experience. He was just sharing that, that experience, and he was, he was just taking in everything in this city in India, and then um, they took him by boat to, to a smaller uh, village, and, and he gets on the boat, he, he's traveling there, he got to the village, and he was able to meet so many people. He was able to see so many of their homes and their stories and get to know them. Uh, but of course, um, he's, he's in a Hindu community, and so as he walks around this village, he is, he is taken back by the Hindu worship uh, that he sees, that he witnesses, he sees idols, he sees all kinds of stuff just all over the place, and it was normal. It was normal, and as this pastor walks around, he's taken it, taken it in, and he, honestly, he just describes how dark he felt as he walks through this village, and he sees literal um, 
idol worship going on in this community. He just takes it in. He was amazed. And um, Later, he was introduced to a Christian pastor who happened to be the guy who, who connected the dots to get him there. But, but he comes, and, he, and, he, and he's talking with this Christian pastor there in India. And, and the pastor calls a, a group of his leaders to come together, and they're just talking about life, about the gospel, about what it's been like to start a church there, and, and they're just talking. And, and um, a Christian woman there on his leadership team said something that he'll never forget, and honestly, it's something that has stuck with me and I will never forget. When talking to this woman, she says, I've been to America before, but I will never travel back there. Because of all of the idolatry. As this woman said, this, this, your reaction is probably the same as this American pastor going, wait, what? Look around. Like, this is kind of like the pot calling the kettle black situation here. What are you talking about? Look around. Um, and so he asked her, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? And so she begins to explain the way she felt in America. She brought uh, his attention to our stadiums that look a lot like temples, our restaurants full of food, our, our, um, our televisions are more compelling than their shrines. And then she said, and by the way, your malls, have you been there? Just whole systems set up around idolatry. And she just starts to explain the idolatry that she felt when she was in America. In, in that moment, something became really clear, and we're going to start with this this morning, and that is this. We are more aware of the idols of others than we are of our own. We are more aware of the idols of others than, than we are the idols in our own hearts. Uh, for for this, this community, this, this Hindu um, woman, the idols that she saw all around her just became kind of normal. They just be, kind of came... They just became life. I mean, this is life. And then she, when she came to America, it was so dark. And when she, when she was immersed into the idolatry that we practice. Likewise, for this American pastor who stepped out of America and stepped into this village in India, all of a sudden, it became so clear, the darkness that was there, because we're more aware of the idols of others than we are of our own. And so here's my point this morning is idolatry is idolatry. Idolatry is idolatry no matter what form it takes and it always does one thing and that is this. Idolatry is making anything other than God the object of your worship. Making anything other than God the object of your, of your worship. When God is replaced by something else or when God is joined by something else. When God is joined, uh, when, when your great affection, your purpose, your drive, your mission in life, when, when that thing is, is, is something else other than God, church, that's idolatry. When God is joined by your family, your stuff, your, your recreation, your whatever, the good things too, that is idolatry. And this morning, that's what we get to look at in our text in 1 John. And so to get there, what I want to do is I want to lay some groundwork in the book of Romans. So Romans 1, uh, if you could turn with me there, we're going to start in verse 18 together. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So God's wrath is revealed, it's poured out, 
because through their unrighteousness, what do they do? They suppress the truth. So verse 19, for what can be known about God is made plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So what's happening here? What's happening in this text is that all of the good things of life, all of creation, don't miss this, all of creation, all of the good things in life, everything, all of it, good food, Good pleasure, good everything, all of the good in life is meant to point us to our good creator. It's meant to focus our attention on he who created it or he who gave it. All of the good in life is meant to point us to our and worship our true God. They're meant to showcase him. They're meant to showcase, point us to, drive us to him. So Paul says, let's just get really practical. When you're on that hike... And you are overwhelmed by how beautiful it is. That moment is meant to drive you to worship to your good God who created that. When you, are, when you eat a delicious meal, that moment when you sit back and your taste buds are still in ecstasy, that moment is meant to drive you to worship your good God who created that food and the ability to enjoy it. All the good things point us to him. The, the way you feel, the joy that you feel with a job well done. Let's be honest, a good cup of coffee. I worship Jesus every morning. A good cup of coffee pointing us to our good, our good God. And so from the beginning, uh, Paul, the writer of Romans, says these things have been proclaiming to us how good our God truly is from the beginning. But listen to what happens here in Romans in verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Did you hear that? So although they knew God, they knew about God, although they knew him, they no longer honored him or gave thanks to him. So here's what happened. The good things that God created, no longer did those good things point to the good God. They became the object in and of themselves. They became the object. They began to worship the images in the uh, the, the, the images instead of the creator. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God, right, with the glory of the immortal God's stuff, right? That's that from creator to creation. The creation that was supposed to point to God now became the object that they were worshiping. And let's, let's look at what happened in verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. forever. Amen. So they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. 
They exchange the truth of God for a lie. They serve the creature rather than the creator, and God gives them over. Church, that's idolatry. When we talk about idolatry, this is what we're referring to. It's any time that we take things that God created and we worship them in place of God himself. This is idolatry, and this is what the picture that, that Paul paints. I'm not going to put this on the screen, but do you remember, kids, I'm sure you remember this. When, 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 they, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he said, don't worship any God other than me. Don't worship any other God other than me. And then he tags this interesting line. Um, For the Lord your God, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. What does that mean? It means that he doesn't like sharing his throne with the things he created. That our God does not share his throne with the things that, that he created. Um, he's a jealous God. And before we get into this, I want to really bring out three things. Idolatry is not an Old Testament problem. This is not something that they once dealt with, that they once struggled with, but now Jesus came, boom, idolatry, done. That's not what the Bible says. Number two, this isn't a third world or primitive problem either. This isn't something that they struggle with over there in the form of, like in that Hindu village with literal idols. This isn't something that they struggle with. This is, it's as, as although we believe that once we become civilized, we stop struggling with this. And that's not the picture that the Bible paints for us either. Third is it's not a foreign problem. It's not something they deal with. It's not something that they struggle with over there. Here's what idolatry is. It is a human problem. Idolatry is a human problem. John Calvin says it like this. Man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. I think he nailed it on that. A perpetual, ongoing factory that produces Idols. Here's what that means. You and I are designed, built to worship something. Your heart long, longs for it. In fact, it doesn't just long for it. It will create them. It will create them, and, and, and it will draw ourselves to worship objects other than our God. So, church, hear me. This is not a them problem, a problem for other people. This is your problem. This is my problem. This is your problem. This is my problem. Um, and if you're here and you would say, you know, that's not me. I mean, I see idols in other people's lives, but I look at, I mean, I'm doing, I'm doing good. If, if you're here and you feel that, you say that, um, remember how we began, church. We are more aware of the idols of others than the idols of our own. Church, this is our problem. And that's why our text in 1 John 5, um, as we get there, you can go ahead and turn there with me now. Um, that's why this text is not just written to this first century church, but it's written to all of God's children for all time because God's heart towards idolatry has not changed. This text is written to us and as you're getting there, um, by the way, these are the last words. How many know that last words are important? The way you close it down says something, because our last words resonate. He could have chosen any way to close this letter, but he chose this. So this is important. They resonate, and, and they, they stick. 
So here, here's John's last words to us. It says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Notice how many times he says true in this. Hold that. Jesus said, or John says, Jesus has come. He's given us understanding so that we can know him. We can know him who is true, that we belong to him, that we will be with him forever in eternal life. Now, then he closes with this little last phrase here. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So John just said, Jesus is true, 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 true. We have this all through that, that verse 20. And then all of a sudden he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from the idols that you face. So the idols, uh, literally, it means a fabricated, a fake deity. Fabricated or fake object of worship. And John says, no, I've already told you what is true. I've already told you what is right. Keep yourself from those things that are fake, untrue. No substitutes, no addiction, or additions, no subtractions. And so what does John call us to? So in this verse, he says, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from idols. Your, your version of the Bible may, may say guard yourself. Keep, guard yourself from idols. And I want to talk a little bit about this keeping this guarding this morning. I want to talk a little bit about this because if this is a human problem, which it is, um, if uh, your, your heart is a perpetual, ongoing, idol-producing machine, which it is, and if you are better at seeing other people's stuff and idolatry than, than you are your own, then what does this mean for you? It means that keeping yourself from idols is an active, ongoing, and communal process. And I want to start with the first one. Keeping yourself from idols is an active process. An active process. Here's what I mean by this. If you left yourself unchecked and unhinged, if you left yourself unchecked, unhinged, you are naturally going to gravitate toward idolatry. This is your natural disposition. You're going to look at your life and you're going to be, you're going to be pulled toward, toward people, towards stuff, towards things, and, and you're going to be pulled. You're going to try to make the good things the thing. If you leave yourself unchecked, if you're passive in this, this is where you are going to be headed. And as we talked about, idols come in all shapes and sizes. Let's drill down into this for a moment. For some of us, our idols are people. For some of us, our idols are people. They're people that we desperately want to be. They're people that we love, our family, our friends, our relationships, um, our spouses, our kids, all of these things, church. They're good things, but they make lousy gods. Lousy gods. And for some of us, that's our trap. Our idols are the people. The people in our life are our idols. For some of us, our idols are our things. 
our things, our possessions, our cars, our houses, our, our money, our stuff, materialism. Again, there's nothing wrong with good things. But again, church, they make lousy gods. They make lousy gods. For some of us, our idol is pleasure. Pleasure, that our lives are, are, are defined by this pursuit of things that make us feel good. That make us feel good and we, we go wherever the, the pleasure may take us. Path of least resistance. Um, we, we flock towards sex, rec- recreation, relaxation, comfort, food. Comfort food sometimes. Um, entertainment. Again, none of these things are bad. None of them. None of these things are bad. Um, these are good things, but they're never meant to be our God. They were never designed to be. And they, again, church, make very lousy gods. Last example, we could, we could list so many more, but some, for some of us, our idol is ourself. It's ourself. It's, it's the pursuit of beauty, health, knowledge, the pursuit of that image that we really want to get to. And again, there's nothing wrong with wisdom, beauty, health. There's nothing wrong with these things. But church, they're meaningless apart from our God. They are meaningless apart from our God. Pick up the book of Ecclesiastes. It was written to show us meaningless apart from our God. There are so many idols that we could call out here in this moment, but church, the question that I want you to wrestle with is, is what idol is your heart producing? What idol is your heart producing this morning? What, what is it for you? Because chances are you don't have little wooden or stone idols in your home. If you do, start there. But if you don't, chances are most of us don't. That's not our culture. Our idols have gone inward. So what is it that has taken residence in our hearts? Because an unchecked, unhinged version of yourself will lead your heart to idolatry. I'll say it like this. A passive heart will lead to an idolatrous heart. Every time, a passive heart, if you're passive on this, a passive heart will lead you to an idolatrous heart. And all throughout his word, God calls us to be on guard. Guard yourself. Keep yourself from these things. Keep yourself. Focus your heart. Here's here's the the thing that we constantly have to do, is we constantly have to take, let's go to food. You enjoy, or I'll go to coffee. Good cup of coffee. The struggle is, is to constantly, ongoing, actively be taking our attention from the coffee and turning it up. Letting the coffee be the thing that points you up. That's a beautiful thing. But it takes an active, it's active. You cannot be passive in this. Um, For some of us, let's just be honest, there are some things in our life that we may just need to cut out. There may be some things in our life that we just, they have stolen our heart, they've stolen our affections, they've stolen everything, our identity, and they just might need to go. They might need to go, might need to just be cut out. So the best way to guard is to remove. For others of us, though, um, maybe what needs to happen here in this moment is that we take the things that were once good things and that have become idols, and we get them back to their original purpose. They're not 
like I said, most of these things are not bad things. They're just bad when they became, when they became the thing. So for some of us, maybe it's, it's the things that once drove us to God and, and gratitude and, and the things that once made us useful for God have, became, have become our God. And for some of us, it might just need to start with us returning our idols to their intended purposes. It's like we're carpenters and we have a shiny new hammer and we love that hammer and we forget that the hammer's meant to be used. And some of us need to take the hammer out of the collection display and put the thing to use because tools are tools. And so for some of us, that might be right where we are this morning. But keeping yourself from idols is an active process. Second, keeping yourself from idols is an ongoing process. So think about dieting for a moment. Um, most of us are familiar with some form or version of an American you know, diet, the fads. Some of us might be on some. It, there's nothing wrong with that. But think about the American way that we view dieting. Like if you listen to the ads, uh, everyone is looking for the silver bullet. That one thing, that one pill, that one exercise, that one thing that will get us right. A once and for all solution. Just show me the thing that will change my life. And as we know, that is not how it works. If you didn't know that, I'm going to save you from spending a lot of money. That is not how health works. Because health is an ongoing day-by-day series of choices. And the same is true with an idolatrous heart. Um, Some of you may be here, and you're saying, you know what, I've heard this before. I've identified idols in my life before. I know that I can worship sports in the Spurs. I know that I can, um, I can worship things. I can worship my car. Um, I've heard this before. I've dealt with this before, right? Some of us might be in that situation. We've, we've heard this. We've, we've wrestled with this. But church, keeping yourself from idols is not a one-time application. How cool would it be if that were the case? But it's not. Like, this is not a one-time application permanent fix. This is an ongoing guarding yourself from idols. And it's a process that will not end until the day you see Jesus face to face. This is your battle until that day. And I don't care if, if, if you've been walking with the Lord for 70 years, keep fighting. Hopefully you're a better fighter than I am, but keep fighting The fight is not over, church. We don't stop fighting. It's like we're in an ongoing war. We've built up our defenses, and it's we've got uh, you know our fortifications. And sure enough, the enemy attacks, and we push back. That attack was real, but we were ready. We push back, and then after the enemy retreats, we bring down the walls and we start the party. Now that's nonsense. Why? Because the war's not over. That was a battle. The war's not over. They'll be back. And I feel like that's the mentality we need to bring when it comes to our our guarding of our hearts. Because the battle's not over. The enemy will be back. The time when our walls come down is in peacetime. Church, you're not in peacetime. We are in wartime. That time of peace is coming, but it's, it's not now. And so right now, we, we guard ourselves. We, we push back against the enemy's attack, and it's ongoing. It's an ongoing process. So we keep, keeping ourselves from idols is, a, is an active process. 
Keeping ourselves from idols is an ongoing process. And lastly, keeping yourself from idols is a communal process. Let me unpack this one for a, for a little bit. Uh, remember the story that we started with earlier. That we started with that, that you're better at seeing other people's stuff than your own. We know that about us, right? Um, but what does that mean for you? It means not only are you better at seeing other people's junk, but other people are better at seeing yours. Other people are better at spotting blind spots in your life. We're much stronger together, and our defenses are much stronger together. But let me point out a couple things from our text. First, notice that it says keep yourselves from idols. It doesn't say keep your neighbor, keep your friend, keep your community group member. That's not the command. It's keep yourselves from idol. So there's a reality that, the, that we have been called to examine our lives, to guard ourselves from the idols that, we're, that will pull our, our heart. But... Please don't forget the context here. Just a few verses earlier, what does it say? It says, when you see your brother in sin, what are you to do? Does it say just worry about yourselves? No. It doesn't say just worry about yourself. It says that we engage, that we pray for them, that God would give them life. The fact is that we're, we are called to guard ourselves. But the, the truth is that we're not called to guard ourselves alone, that that is not our calling, uh, that we are called to go alone. Out of love, out of our heart for each other, we're engaged in praying for each other in this battle. That's the calling. To put it simply, we can't be content with idolatry, period, whether that be in my life or in the life of someone I care about. We're called to engage. How do we engage for those that we see around us? In love, we pray first and foremost, and you'd be amazed at how many times God uses you as a tool to show them things in their life out of love, not, don't hear me wrong, I don't want you to go be the idol police, all right? That's not what we're going for here. But it's out of love that drives us to, the, to this because we're, we're better together, we're stronger together. So keeping yourself from idols is an active ongoing and communal process. Um, this morning, you know, we've talked about idols. We've talked about identifying them. We've talked about guarding ourselves. And, and here's the way I want to finish this this morning. I want to finish it with a quick reminder of why this matters. Why this matters. Um, our idols have a unique way of sinking in. They have this unique way of, of sinking in, becoming our identity, becoming our very thoughts, overwhelming just the direction of our life. We make life decisions based on idols. They have a way of sinking down in. And the idols that were once, you know, precious metals and wood and stone um, may not be that anymore because idolatry is and always has been a heart problem. And idolatry, idols have this, this way of going from our mantles and our altars into sinking into our very, our very hearts. The, the, the idols that were once tangible have now become invisible. Um, I think about 
what was happening in, with Israel, with their leaders a long time ago. Listen to this verse and tell me if it sounds familiar. Uh, this is in Ezekiel. It says, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts. The leaders of Israel have taken their idols into their hearts. Church, let us be a people, a church, who willingly exposes our idolatrous hearts because there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And hear me, the darkness of idolatry vanishes in the light of the gospel because idolatry is a heart problem and the gospel is what mends and repairs, restores, renews our heart. My, uh, my prayer is that we echo the words of John Wesley, who says this, as shadows flee before the sun, so let all my idols vanish at thy presence. Let's pray together. God, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for First John. God, and in these moments, I just pray that you give us the ability to see clearly two things. One, the ability to see you, to see how good you are, how great you are, your grace, your forgiveness, your faithfulness. God, allow us to see that, to see that clearly. And God, too, I pray that you give us the ability to look at our, our lives and that you give us eyes to see the idols that we have made in our life. Maybe blind spots in our life that you would give us the ability to see them, to spot them, to recognize them and to not be content with leaving them. Give us wisdom on how we are to engage them, whether it be to cut them out of our lives, whether it be to repurpose them for the reason that they are there. Now give us the, the wisdom, the ability to not only see the idols that, that our hearts have produced, but God, that you would give us the ability to turn, to keep ourselves, to guard ourselves from them, and to again turn our eyes to you. And let all those things become now tools to turn our eyes to the creator of the tools, to you. And God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a good father who loves us so much that you would send your son, Jesus, to come to die for us so that we would not have to. We love you. We praise you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.